When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much, and welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, founder and president of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, as always. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We've got another great show lined up for us today. On today's program, we're going to be talking about Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, how can we go through any financial show without talking about that? So we'll break it down for you and answer all of your questions, hopefully. But before we do that, I want to remind you once again that our show is, of course, a podcast. If you've got to get out of the car, if you've got to move on today, you can't hear the entire show. We have more than 350 shows on our podcast platform, wherever you get your podcast simply search brian evans growing your wealth and you'll find a podcast that applies to you and if you enjoy what you're about to hear today in our show i want you to consider our educational library at madronafinancial.com we've got a hundred instructional videos there there's a good chance your questions are on our show somewhere and they're answered there once again madronafinancial.com and click on the education library under the growing your wealth tab Okay, Brian, let's get started here. Silicon Valley Bank, break it down for us exactly what happened first. Well, I'm not sure everybody knows exactly what happened, but I'm going to give it a, a shot here. Basically, you know, the failure has been all in the news, so we wanted to talk about that today. And there was kind of a, it was almost a perfect storm for this bank. And I hate to admit it, but I had never heard of them before. And all of a sudden, that's <laughs> right. all anybody's talking about. And I think, well, where have I been? It's evidently uh, gone from nothing to 15th biggest bank or something like that yep. in the U.S. Kind of overnight, you know, over five-year period, I guess. So I, I had not heard of them. And all of a sudden, that's all any of my clients want to talk about. <laughs> so basically, this bank was set up for primarily, you know, their focus was technology companies, of course, Silicon Valley, and startups and venture capital and all that kind of stuff, which is really exciting stuff. And, you know, all the mega billionaires all went through that path where they had a tech startup and they got private money, venture capital, uh, bank financing, capital raises over and over. They'd have a certain burn rate on their cash. They are expecting to lose tons of money for years and years. But there was just an endless supply of investors to say, well, I want part of that. And I don't care if you're losing money now because you're going to be the next uh, Bezos or, or Gates or, or whatever. And so uh, Elon Musk, whatever. And so they were raising incredible amounts of money, just incredible amounts. And a lot of people that were giving them money to put uh, on deposit there probably aren't very seasoned. I mean, certainly yeah. uh, one of the statistics I know is that 86% wow. evidently of their deposits were over the FDIC limit. Wow. So most of all the money they held was over the limit. So un uninsured money. But, you know, certainly we haven't had any banking news for over a decade to speak of. And so people are like, well, you know, what could go wrong? I mean, Silicon Valley, everything works here, right? Right. And so, you know, the, the average, though, is astoundingly 50 uh, percent. So half the money in banks is not insured by the FDIC. I, I didn't know it was that high mm -hmm. until this came along. So one of the reasons that uh, I said it's kind of a perfect storm, uh, if 86 percent of your deposits are over the limit, and people think there's going to be a little run on the bank. Well, then everybody wants to pull their money out, which is what happened. And people got nervous and immediately pulled $40 billion out of that bank. Brian, I was reading the newspaper the other day. I don't often read newspapers, but this was the New York Post and maybe not the most reliable newspaper. It's not exactly the New York Times. But the headline said, top Silicon Valley bank executives worked at notoriously troubled Lehman Brothers and Deutsche Bank. And we know how things worked out there. So it seems like that maybe some of their executives were not vetted. And as you said, there was there were a large percentage of people working at that bank in charge who did not have the proper experience. I understand that they did make, though, a rookie mistake. Can you tell us what that is? 
Yeah, you know, there is something about experience is really important. But if your experience was bad, I'm not sure that helps you the, the next time through. Yeah. Oh, I have experience riding a bank uh, into the ground. Uh, let me let me take this job and help you guys. I have experience. You know, it's like whoa, okay. Maybe not the kind we have, and I, just because you're a bank executive doesn't mean that you ever, uh, you know, when I was at university, I, I graduated, you look at my transcript, nowhere on there was Common Sense 101, <laughs> Yeah. okay? Uh, I, I wish it was, but it wasn't. Just because you have a lot of, of head knowledge does not mean you have a lot of common sense, let me give an example. Right. So a couple of years ago, we were talking on this show, trying to figure out why institutions were buying bonds from Germany and Japan. And the scenario was, the true scenario was basically, so let me get this straight. I buy your 10-year bond. I lock my money up for 10 years with your government. And for every $100,000 I give you, you promise to pay me back $99,000 in 10 years. Yep. Okay. (laughs) So I I automatically lose money. I'd be better off burying it in the backyard. Yeah. Okay. I automatically lose money and I lose to inflation. Yep. Okay, well, now that I've heard you out, boy, that sounds like a really good deal. I'm going to go back to my board at the bank and say, we need to load up on this. And then he does. He goes back. He tells them the story. And Well, why should we do this? Because everybody else is doing it. Oh, okay. Well, we got all this money. Can we lock it up at no return at the worst time ever in the bond market? Yeah, let's do that. We think that's a great idea. So this, I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious here, but mm-hmm. basically this is kind of what I see happening. They thought it was a good idea to tie up their money in long-term bonds. And then, oh, should we buy a hedge against that just in case inflation happens or interest rates go up? Mm, nah, let's, let's not do that either <laughs> because there's no way interest rates will ever go up. And I'm like, oh, I remember getting 12.5% on a passbook savings account when I was a berry picker back in the right, 70s. So right. <laughs> I remember high interest rates, and, yeah, they can happen. Uh, my first house was 8.625% interest, and I thought it was a steal. Oh, yeah. So basically, they got all this new money. They wanted to, to do something with it. The lending had slowed down because the software industry, startups, all that technology, you know, layoffs and all that stuff. So all of a sudden that slowed down and they decided to go along on long-term bonds and take the chance that rates will never go up and lock up all that money. So what happens is, and and let me explain uh, how bonds work, a long-term bond, probably the worst investment last year was a 30-year treasury. And you say, well, that sounds pretty safe, though. You you give them the money, and then they give it back with interest. Well, yeah, but let's say you buy a treasury, and it pays, I'll just throw out an example, 2%. And new treasuries pay 3%. And you've owned yours for a year, and it's a 30-year treasury. And you go, you know, I want that 3% one, and I have a 2% one. And, and you know, rates went up. I'm going to sell my treasury. So I go out there and I say, i got a $100,000 treasury. It's going to pay 1% under market for 29 years. What will you give me for it? Well, I'll give you a 29% discount or 20% or something like that, present value. What? I, I bought a 30-year fixed rate treasury. And you're telling me after one year, I'm going to lose 20%? And actually, it was worse than that. Mm-hmm. In reality, I, I believe I saw in the 30s. And you think a treasury is safe, but you're not safe against interest rate movements because you've locked yourself in. The longer you've locked yourself in under market, the worse it is. That's what this bank did. They thought it was a good idea to lock up long-term money at the lowest rate in history. It's just phenomenally nonsensical to me. Um, I was kind of joking with, with one of my clients. I said, you know, it, any economics 101 class, maybe it takes to the second week to learn that one, that, that, that concept. Probably not. Usually you'd probably learn that in the first week. Uh, the basic supply demand, the basic uh, interest rate kind of thing, movement, what does it do to the bond market? Real basic stuff. Look at history. Oh, we're at all-time high in the market uh, because we have an all-time low rate. This is probably not the best time to load up without any hedge and put all our eggs in that basket. But that's exactly what Silicon Bank did. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We're breaking down what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. I want to remind you right now, for our listeners to this program, if you're wondering how deep your financial roots are to withstand the next financial storm or something like Silicon Valley Bank, that's more than likely not going to happen to you. But you know there are financial storms out there, and there are more brewing right now as we speak. The forecast is calling for 
some rough financial weather. So how deep are your financial roots? Are they deep enough to withstand the next financial storm? Well, if you're unsure about that, we've got a way for you to find out. All you've got to do is go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button there. Once you do that, you'll answer a couple of quick questions. You'll set up a 15-minute call with an advisor at Madrona Financial and CPAs who will talk to you about how deep your financial roots are and give you some suggestions to deepen them if they are not deep enough. And once again, when you speak with an advisor at Madrona Financial and CPAs, they're not going to be selling you a product whatsoever. We don't know you, so we can't talk about product. This is truly an informational session, and it's all right at any time during that session to say no. If you'd like to take advantage of this opportunity, again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button right there towards the top of the page. We're going to continue to talk about Silicon Valley Bank, Brian, but here's another fascinating fact this week, and I think you know the answer to this. Brian, where do you think the best place in the world is to see rainbows? I'm going to guess the Rainbow State. The Rainbow State, and that would be... Hawaii. That's right. If you look at their license plates, we don't get a lot of Hawaii license plates here on the mainland, but I have seen them and they do have a rainbow on there for a reason. If you're an avid rainbow gazer and you want to get your fill of the beautiful phenomenon, you need to look no further than the state of Hawaii. According to a study published by the American Meteorological Society, it noted that the area's mountains produce sharp gradients in clouds and rainfall, which are key to abundant rainbow sightings. Also contributing, of course, would be the pollen and large large amount of cresting waves and mountains there. That puts uh, Hawaii at the top of the list when it comes to rainbow quantity. And not only that, but rainbow quality. We get some pretty rainbows here in the Pacific Northwest once in a while, Brian, but I don't know. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. I tried to follow a rainbow, but I didn't find the pot of gold (laughs) at the end of the rainbow. So I guess you will increase your likelihood to finding the pot of gold if you do go to the state of Hawaii. Let's get back to the show now, talking about Silicon Valley Bank. Brian, Silicon Valley Bank was the first one that we heard about. Are there others that are set to fall in line behind Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah, there already was one, the Signature Bank on the East Coast. Now, they were a different kind of bank, and and as you research the bank a little bit, they're a crypto lender. Hmm. And, uh, of course, there was that FTX collapse where that what Sam Bankman, I think it was his yeah, name. Yeah, SBF. Uh, yeah, and and I'm I'm thinking to myself, gee, okay, I, I have a bank and I'm lending money on something that is crypto. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure everybody exactly knows even what that is. Uh, you can't show it to me or anything. I, I understand it's an asset class, and I, I don't really know anybody that uses it. I know people invested in it, but mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that uses it personally. I've never used it. Um, not to say it's not real or anything like that. I just, it's hard for me or frankly, my clients or, or other people in the industry to really wrap our hands around it. But we have a bank that's lending based upon that. We saw a collapse of an entire exchange in that. I've never seen an exchange collapse like that. And I think to myself, gee, what could go wrong? We're investing on we're putting our money out into crypto and letting people speculate. And I think the problem is, to me wasn't that it was crypto. as my, That is a problem. But the volatility of something like that. I mean, you, you look at the price history of cryptocurrency and it is just all over the map. And so that's a tough place to be when you're a bank lending money. You know, banks want security. They want to know where the income is coming from. They put you through the ringer to make sure that they're not really taking a lot of risk when they lend you money, mm-hmm. either through security or your earnings or something. But that kind of goes out the window when you're lending in the crypto space. So right. I would say they had a systemic problem. Silicon Valley had a different kind of problem. They had a, a management investment strategy problem, more and bad timing. But I would say the signature just, just had a systemic business uh, plan problem that, that contributed to it. So one of the interesting things about all of this is, generally speaking, anymore when something is losing money or, or something's going down, I stop and think, all right, who's making money? Right. Most of the time when someone's losing, someone else is buying cheap and making money. And Warren Buffett is a prime example of that. He tended to buy stuff when it was out of favor. Mm -hmm. He didn't buy stuff when everybody was buying it. 
he did the opposite. He, he, he always did the opposite and uh, typically won, and he would make money at that. I think the big banks that people think are too big to fail are getting unbelievable deposits right now with people pulling out of small banks because they're worried about the bank. I don't know that you need to be. Yeah. But I would consider if you have some lazy money, lazy money being uh, deposits at banks over a certain amount, certainly over the $250,000 FDIC limit, or I've seen a lot of clients come in lately. One of the biggest banks, I won't name them, okay, um, but they're one of the biggest banks. I looked up their CD rates, and they had all these different names. Okay, here's the regular one. Here's a premium. Mm-hmm. Here's a super premium. Here's a super duper special secret <laughs> handshake premium. And here's the one, the golden fleece, you know, wonderful yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, so literally, I'm not, I made that part up, but I'm not going to make up the next part. Okay. The first one paid one one hundredths of one percent. Oh my. Okay? The highest, the most fantastic rate for the super special client yeah. paid four one hundredths oh of one percent. I mean, money sitting uninvested yeah. at the custodian that we use pays over 100 times that. And it's liquid. Uh, it's not even tied up in a CD. Right. I'm looking at that going, wow, okay. You put this fancy name on there, but really, you don't expect anybody to you know, dig in and dive deeper. And so I think a lot of people listening, if you look at your accounts that are just sitting there and doing nothing, they might be earning nothing. And there are a lot better alternatives, whether it's CDs or money markets at brokerage firms, uh, custodians, such as Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be fixed annuities. Uh, they pay higher than all of the others I just mentioned. And you lock that insurance company into paying you for a longer period of time, which I think is a good thing. I want to lock that insurance company in. If they're going to promise me a high rate, well, how long can I lock you in for? Huh? Three years? Five years? Seven years? Uh, yes, to all of the above. Oh, well, I might like that. I might like, you know, what if rates go down, which a lot of people think they will. And new CDs and new fixed annuities don't pay well like they didn't a year ago. You might want to lock yourself in. And so I've been doing a lot of that lately. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to tell people that there are winners. And and so, you know, if these big banks are, are getting all this money at, and paying one one hundredth of a percent to, and then lending it out at six, they're only making 5.99 on it. That's pretty good for money that's not even theirs. So they're doing all right. And so uh, that is one thing to do. I always look at uh, who's making money. Another thing I, I noticed was that uh, the 10-year treasury has dropped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interest rate has dropped. And that pretty much is correlated to mortgage rates. So when the 10-year treasury goes up, so do mortgage rates. When it goes down, so do mortgage rates. The fact that it went down tells me, well, maybe mortgage rates are going to drop down. That'd be good for the economy. Yes, That'd it, be good yes, for housing. It, yes, it would. Yeah. And then that also would have the Fed maybe take their foot off the gas and pouring cold water on the economy and slow down their interest rate increases, which would be good for the stock market. So there are some positives uh, that could come out of all of this. Uh, maybe, you know, we, we got a taste of how we need to have more particular up-to-date regulation to not allow banks to, you know, take a stupid pill. <laughs> That's what you want to call it. I like that. Um, yeah, um, uh, but anyway, there there can be some good things that come yeah. out of this. Brian, you talked about Silicon Valley Bank and, of course, Signature Bank. They were unique banks in that they catered to a certain clientele. And, of course, Signature Bank uh, dealt in cryptocurrency, you know, that sort of thing, which can lead to some problems. For the average investor who does use a bank, and maybe it's one of the other major banks, or maybe it's a small community bank, or maybe it's the Farmers and Merchants Bank. You know, maybe you've got some money in CDs, money markets, that sort of thing. You keep a couple $3,000 or so in a checking account to pay bills. Is there anything to really worry about? Well, if you're over 250000 in an account, you know, you, you want to be careful about that because it's uninsured. And there are ways around to fix that, certainly. Uh, obvious is to take money out and put it in another bank. But uh, I'll have a better suggestion in a minute here. Generally speaking, no, because their investments are seasoned. They didn't put all of their money into the bond market in the last five years. In the last five years, it's been a terrible time to put all your money in the bond market. So if they have seasoned investments, uh, they have reserves, they haven't grown at this dramatic exponential rate like these other companies did and uh, didn't know what to 
do with all the excess cash that was coming in to redeploy it, and I made a lot of mistakes. So generally speaking, the the banks that have been around for, for a while have a, a really solid loan portfolio. Mm-hmm. They've got good reserves. They've, they've done all the things they needed to do. They made it through 2008. They're probably just fine. I, I, I think it's just fine. I think these were here's a couple of one-offs here of, of some bad players in the banking market and they're they're being exposed now and their investors are going to lose money but uh, and frankly taxpayers will lose money indirectly when it <laughs> uh, when the government charges the banks more the banks will go hmm i think we need a bigger spread on our loans and so all of our variable rate loans are going to go up and and even though we were told we're taxpayers and bailing them out yeah but my interest on my variable rate loan went up for for the next 10 years or whatever it is your loan is so it has to come from somewhere. It's mm-hmm. going to come from the consumer eventually uh, through a trickle down. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We're talking about the SVB banking crisis here. Brian, you mentioned that Madrona Financial uses a custodian to hold your client's money. How is a custodian different than a bank? That's a great question. So a bank gets the deposits and then redeploys it, loans it out, invests it in bonds in this case uh, with the, that Silicon Bank and so forth. And uh, they need to know that uh, they're going to get paid back because they're taking risk. That's what banks do. They're, there's a risk assessments going on. And uh, some are better than others. But first 250000 is insured by the government. So with a custodian, uh, the, the money that uh, – that's where we keep our clients' money. And they're not taking the money and then redeploying it. They're not taking stocks and then selling it and, and going out and buying something with it. They're holding assets in custody. So when you're holding an asset in custody, yeah, the value of that asset can go up and down if it's a stock, and it does all the time. The custodian doesn't really care. I mean, it doesn't matter to them. It's not there on their balance sheet. They're just holding that. So they make their money through fees. They make their money through margin loans where they lend money on your own account with your own money, essentially. So if you have a million dollars, you can borrow a half a million against your million mm-hmm. and pay them interest. So it doesn't cost them anything. They already have your assets. Right. So they know they can liquidate your assets anytime it, you, the value drops and pay themselves back. And it's like, oh. Yeah, that's 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 pretty slick deal there, uh, but the big thing about the custodian, uh, the one in particular, I won't name the name on on air, but uh, I was looking up theirs, and so let's say that you had millions of dollars in their cash account insured by the FDIC, and you're going, oh, I only have two hundred fifty thousand of that covered. No, what they do is something called a, a sweep, and they will start sweeping two hundred fifty thousand dollar increments of that. And spread that out amongst 20, up to 20 different banks. So you could put up to $5 million with a custodian, and they could sweep that to 20 different banks, and you have $250,000 of FDIC insurance at all 20 places behind the scenes. You don't even know this is going on. Mm-hmm. But they had that going on to where I, I just think that's brilliant how they can protect my clients' cash balances to a very, very high degree by using the sweep. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We've been talking about the Silicon Valley banking crisis and what it means to you. We have a great book here available for our listeners today. It's called The Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. If you would like to get your copy right now, all you've got to do is text RADIO to 833-673-7373, and you can instantly get a digital copy of this book. You can download it right there. It is how to confirm your retirement is designed to support the quality of life that you want for 30 plus years. It's an actually very chock full of information book and it is an easy read. Once again, text radio to 833-673-7373. Do it right now. Or if you would like a hard copy of that, you can tell us to send you the hard copy in that text. And also, if you've got questions that you'd like to ask us here for the program, you want us to answer on the air, include those. And if you've got an idea or a topic you'd like us to talk about, we will welcome those too. Once again, it is 833-673-7373. Or you can email us if you'd like to do that, plan at madronafinancial.com. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. 
Did you know that taxes may be one of your biggest expenses in retirement? That's why it's so important to work with a team of financial advisors and CPAs who work together for your benefit. Madrona Financial and CPAs offers the team you need, consisting of both experienced financial advisors and CPAs who can help you pay less in taxes and be better prepared for retirement. Get more from your financial team. Start your retirement conversation by calling 844-MADRONA or visit madronafinancial.com. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion of FDIC and SIPC insurance and talk about President Biden's tax proposals. And Brian, I'm familiar with the FDIC. I believe that's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Is that right? Yeah. So that's the $250,000 protection we have on our essentially our bank account, our cash account balances. And so we were talking about that and how you can get additional if instead of going to a particular single bank and having 250000 coverage, if you use a particular custodian that, that we tend to use, mm-hmm. they actually can put up to $5 million of, uh, insured through FDIC by sweeping that amount hmm. to 20 other banks, 20 banks that they have agreements with to spread the money out behind the scenes so that all five million, up to $5 million could be protected by the FDIC. Now, we've heard about the FDIC, but there's another term that you mentioned there, Brian, and that is the SIPC. What is that? How is it different? So one of my clients might have a bunch of cash in the account at my at the custodian we use, and as I just explained, if it's under under five million dollars, I feel pretty good about that because that's FDIC insured because of the sweep. In addition to that, they'll have stocks and ETFs and mutual funds and so forth, and so that is under a different kind of insurance. That's under the SIPC, and that insurance is up to $500,000. So the first 500 is covered, but you might say, well, wait a second, I've got a lot more than 500,000. And you said I'm protected against loss. Well, there's a couple things here. No, you're not protected against loss at all. In fact, you got $500,000 in a crypto and it goes under, uh, you just lost your 500,000. The custodian is there to hold the asset, not to take gains or losses from the changes in value of your asset. So you're your investments with the custodian are still going to go up and down with the market. You're bearing the the risk and the return. The custodian is just holding those assets, maybe charging a fee for that or uh, lending out some of your cash balances to others and getting interest and that kind of thing. So what the SIPC insurance is about is let's say the custodian itself goes under for some reason. Mm -hmm. Now, they're not taking the risk that a bank does by getting assets and then having to redeploy them. But let's just say under the highly unlikely scenario that a custodian, a major custodian, somehow went out of business. And if they did, we got really serious problems. (laughs) (laughs) But let's just say they did have a problem. The custodian I was looking at has a $1 billion insurance against that event from Lloyd's of London. So they tend to back up every federal insurance with a Lloyd's of London policy, an an enormous one, just because. I doubt it's even that expensive for them because I'm pretty sure Lloyd's of London's done their due diligence and said, well, this is Mm -hmm. really uh, highly unlikely to ever happen, but uh, we'll take some of your money every year for insurance and so that your customers can have some peace of mind there. So that's that's what I'm sharing with you is the peace of mind you might have with a custodian over how much, what you would have with a bank, especially if you have more than 250000 in an account, or if you have a, an investment account somewhere, they may not be carrying this Lloyd's of London additional insurance. And Brian, I think most people are familiar with the Lloyd's of London. They have insured some very unusual things in years past. They insured Betty Gribble's legs, also Keith Richards' hands, Bruce Springsteen's voice, voice. And of all things, Tom Jones's chest here. I don't know how you would insure something like that. But uh, hey, Lloyds of London said we'll accept the risk on that. So in a nutshell, that's what's happened with Silicon Valley Bank. And again, for those of us who are using just, you know, our local banks here that are not involved in such lending practices, we really don't have much to talk about. Let's shift gears a little bit, Brian, and talk about Mr. Biden's tax proposals. I want you to kick it off right now and just give us the highlights of what he's proposing. 
Well, the one that really jumped off the page to me was what uh, he proposes for capital gains. And let's back up a little, little bit. Capital gains, I want to give an example. Let's say you buy a house 30 years ago and it's 1,500 square feet and you rent it out or whatever and, and you hold it as an investment and you paid $100,000 for it. And 30 years later, it's now worth $500,000. Well, you still have the same house, but the number associated with it, the value has gone up. So basically, $100,000 30 years ago might be $500,000 today. So really, you just, you have the same house. Nothing else changed. So really what that number represents is inflation. You're trading water. You had the, you had the same asset 30 years later, just 30 years older, as you had 30 years ago. Well, now we know that when we sell that, we still have to pay a tax on inflation. It's called capital gains mm -hmm. in this case. So, but thankfully, to promote long-term investing... Congress forever, for 100 plus years, has said, we want to promote long-term investing. That's a good thing for a capitalistic society is to promote long-term investing. So to do that, you're going to have a lower rate. So at least your tax on inflation or whatever, if you're willing to hold it for a certain time period, will be lower than it would be just for earned income. And so that's been around forever. Well, now the proposal is let's do away with any incentive to be a long-term investor. Mm. Let's do away with the lower capital gains rate. Let's make it taxed at the highest rate there is, the marginal ordinary income rate. And so now I'll give you that example. Now you have that house and you thought you were going to, you heard that capital gains tax was 15%. Well, now you sell it and your accountant comes to you and go, uh, yeah, well, because you have other income and so forth, you're at the new Biden proposed ordinary rate of, of over 39%. We've got the Medicare add-on tax of 3.8%. And, and so now you're, you're at 43.4%. And you go, wow, that's terrible. 43.4% on, on inflation? Yeah, well, that's not the worst of it because you also sold your business this year. And in the state of Washington, Governor Inslee just got through a 7% capital gains tax, which is our first income tax in this state. And now you're slightly over 50% on that. Wow. Okay. So there are repercussions to this, which I'll talk about in a minute, mm -hmm. but serious ripple effects to taking away incentive for long-term investing and making everything transactional because it doesn't matter if you hold it or not. So that's the, the one that jumped out at me first, Jeff. So, Brian, if President Biden gets his way and these taxes are implemented, I mean, is that as far as it's going to go? Has it ever been left where it is? Uh, no, that's not as far as it would go because, for instance, I mentioned Governor Inslee in the state of Washington with this new uh, capital gains tax, which he uh, has named an excise tax, which it is not. It's because I call, I've said on the show before, just because I call a three-sided object a circle does not make it a circle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a triangle. I don't care. Just because you're calling it an excise tax, it is not an excise tax. It doesn't even resemble an excise tax. An excise tax is a tax on a gross amount of a transaction across everybody, not the net amount after expenses, after your cost. That's called net income tax. That's a tax on your income, your profit. Profit is income in this respect. It's an income tax, even though that's unconstitutional in the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't care. So, okay, so we have that. But what my contention would be is, Jeff, have you ever heard of politicians saying, you know, we started this new program, mm -hmm. we raised your taxes, and that's good enough. <laughs> we will never, no. ever propose a new spending anything. Uh, I've heard we'll that. We'll never propose an increase in, in any rate. Yeah. What we're getting is perfectly adequate for our purposes, whether we're the state or the feds. We will never ask you for any more money. Mm -hmm. Well, I meant today. I, I didn't mean tomorrow or next <laughs> week, you know. I just meant today. Okay, so they can only raise certain taxes so much. And so what the goal, I think, is, is, well, let's find new ways to tax and we'll get it in. It's a Trojan horse. We will say, all right, we're only going to tax capital gains in the state of Washington over a large amount. And most people go, well, that doesn't really affect me. I'm like, no, it doesn't, maybe. Okay. Well, you think when they need more money, they're not going to go, yeah, we're going to have to change that threshold. 
And it was $250,000, and now it's 250 cents. Okay. And, yeah, it used to not cover real estate, but, yeah, we kind of need that money. So now it's going to cover real estate. And then they'll do away with, you know, the, the, right. once they get their foot in the door, oh, yeah, capital gains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we're going to tax ordinary income because, you know, most states have an income tax yeah. on ordinary income. So now that we've bypassed the Constitution in the state for capital gains, what's stopping us from bypassing it for ordinary income? So once the foot's in the door, there's no lack of appetite for new taxes and higher rates. So when we start taxing new things, that's where the rails come off in the years to come. So don't kid yourself. Just because it doesn't affect you today does not mean it won't in the future. And I would think that Mr. Biden's proposals would be rather unpopular with the populace. What's your feeling on that? What have your clients been telling you? No, they're extremely popular because that's the Trojan horse part. It's like every single one of these is like, well, let me get this straight. We get to have all this money come in and I don't have to pay any of it. Oh, I'm for it. Okay. (laughs) Someone else is going to pay it. I'm for it. Yeah, but you're going to get clocked down the road. You just don't know it. But okay. So generally the populace is always for a tax that they personally don't pay. Okay. Why wouldn't they be? That's human nature. Okay. Um, you're going someplace and you can go, you can get in the, the line where your steak is $60 or you can get in the line with for the same steak and it's free mm-hmm. because somebody else in line is going to be randomly selected to pay your for your steak. Which line do you get into, Jeff? Yeah, I'm going to get in the free one. The free one and get the same steak because someone else in that line had to pay for your steak. Yeah. And it's not you. Of course you're going to get in that line. That that They're always going to have support for the, for any of these taxes. But my contention is that once the foot's in the door with a new, whole brand new kind of tax, like the state of Washington tax, or, you know, now now we're seeing the capital gains tax. Now there's another tax that's being proposed both in the state of Washington legislature and by uh, President Biden, as I understand, is a wealth tax. Same thing. Oh, just the super wealthy are going to pay this. I mean, this is a nightmare to figure out what that tax should be. Yeah. You know, what, what, what's the value of my intangible assets yearly? Where am I going to pay that tax mm-hmm. unless I sell the intangible asset? Let's say I own a, a farm and I got to pay money every year just because it's worth something or a business. You know, a business is a great example. How do I sell part of my business to pay the tax just because I have a business? And how do you know what that business is worth until I've sold it? Mm-hmm. I'll pay the tax then. I, I'll get drilled then. In fact, I'll get drilled by a state of Washington now. I'll get drilled by the feds. I, I might have to not have a capital gains rates anymore. I'm going to get nailed. So I'm already doing that. And now you want an annual tax because <laughs> it says it's worth something on a piece of paper? Ah, okay. Where does that stop? So... Once those taxes are in place, eventually we'll see, you know, you own real estate, you pay a property tax, right? So every year we we know that. What if at some point in time, everybody has to do a personal financial statement, add up the numbers and pay a, a property tax on all of their assets? That's not unheard of. We do that with the estate tax. Mm-hmm. Everything you own, that you socks in your drawer, and you know everything. Everything yeah. you own is supposed to go on that estate tax return and have some value. It might be ten cents. Well, put yeah. it on there, mm. and and so you pay tax on the gross. And so I, I'm just concerned that as we see brand new taxes being rolled out, beware. Just because they don't affect you today doesn't mean they won't down the road. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We've been talking about President Biden's tax proposal, and we're going to continue that in just a moment. And Brian, I've heard people say that the wealthy should pay their fair share. So I'm going to ask you that in just a moment. But in the meantime, I want to talk to our listeners. Is this you? Have you ever asked yourself about your 401k balance and the options that you have available to you and you just don't know what to do? What's the result do you want? Do you want to be prepared for a smooth transition into retirement where the time is right for you? Well, if you want to retire within the next couple of years and this is for you, I highly encourage you to go to our website, madronafinancial.com, and get your rooted wealth analysis. Right there towards the top of the page, you will see a button that says Get Started. When you click on that, you'll answer a couple of very simple, quick questions. 
And then you can be connected with an advisor at Madrona Financial who will talk to you about your financial roots just to make sure that they're deep enough to get you retired and stay retired. A retirement that could last 30 plus years. It's so simple to do. Once again, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. It's going to be a short conversation. No one's going to try to sell you anything at all. This is purely informational for you. And at any time during the conversation, if you want to say, no, I'm not interested, simply say that because we can take no for an answer. We only want to work with people who want to work with us. Once again, no cost, no obligation whatsoever. You can do it right now if you want, if you're near a computer. Madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button and get your rooted wealth analysis. Before we get back to the show, Brian, I want to talk about the oldest profession in the world, now, this is according to the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, and I don't know about you, but anytime I hear anybody say anything with a British accent, I think that it is very, very credible. It's just, they sound like very smart people, so I'm going to take this for uh, what it's worth. Dentistry, it goes all the way back to when humans had teeth. Well, not quite that long, but one study found, according to the BBC, evidence of teeth being drilled in skulls dating to 7,500 to 9,000 years ago. Can you imagine the tools that they must have used then, Brian, or the, the lack of anesthesia that they had. Now, these holes were likely made using a prehistoric bow drill. That could be the work of the first dentist. Also, a uh, biting research study, B-I-T-I-N-G, uh, according to the BBC, conducted at the University of Bologna in Italy. That's not where they make bologna. A 14,000-year-old skull found one rotten tooth in the jaw had been deliberately scoured and scraped with a tool. Ouch. <laughs> I tell you what, for those people who are afraid to go to the dentist, uh, just be glad that we're going to the dentist today when there's so many modern tools available. We have anesthesia and we have such good dentists. So anyway, dentistry, according to the BBC, is the oldest profession in the world. Let's get back to our program now. Brian talking about uh, President Biden's tax proposal. You did an interesting experiment once, and it was about asking people, what is my fair share? Can you tell us that story? Yeah, so I, I typically don't post anything on Facebook, but I, I kept hearing uh, politicians, you need to pay your fair share. Rich aren't paying their fair share. People working don't pay their fair share. I was like, okay, I've had it with this fair share thing. Mm -hmm. That's a, a buzzword I'm, I'm tired of hearing, so let's just define it. So I put it out there. I said, all right, what is my fair share? And I had a bunch of friends that, you know, arguing, uh, they, they agree with these politicians clearly. So I just said, please, just tell me what is my fair share. I just want to know the number. Mm -hmm. There is a number right. associated with that. What percentage is my fair share? So perhaps right now, I, I know I pay over 40%. If I make a make dollar yep. more this year, I will pay 40%. So I get to keep 60 cents, and I give the government 40 between the income tax and Medicare, yeah. surcharge, Social Security, all that. That's just on my income, and forget you know, sales tax and property tax and et cetera, et cetera. But just on my income, um, I, I'm keeping less than 60% and the government's getting more than 40. And maybe when you roll in all that other stuff, they're, they're closer to 50. So I said, all right, if that's my number and I am not paying my fair share, please tell me what my fair share is. So uh, that post was on there for over a month. Hmm. I got a lot of, yeah, but Trump, I'm like, I didn't ask you about Trump. <laughs> yeah. I said, just tell me what my percentage fair share is so I know yeah. what that number is. I keep saying this word without defining it. Please just define it for me. Yeah, but what, you don't like schools? No, I think schools are great. My dad was a school teacher. I went to school. Sure. I, I think schools are great. What is my fair share? Well, yeah, yeah, but what about what about? No, no, I didn't ask you about yeah. politics. Or give me anything. a number. Give me a just percentage. Give me a number. Just, just can one of you step up? Be brave. Put a number out there. Never got it. Wow. It was up for about two months. Interesting. And all my friends that you know that were very liberal right. would not answer that question. Mm. They absolutely know yeah. that when it comes out of their mouth, it will not be fair because right, their right. number might be ninety-five. It might be ninety, and they don't want to put that anywhere out there because just on its face, do you think it's fair? I, the Beatles didn't think it was fair when no. it's one for you, nineteen for me, because I'm the tax man. <laughs> they were in the ninety-five percent tax bracket in Great right. Britain, right. and it was a tax protest song, the tax man saying they they only get one out of twenty-five percent, one for you, nineteen for me. I'm the tax man. They didn't even like that, and they were pretty liberal. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm like, wow. Okay, so ninety-five <laughs> seems too much even to that group. 
what's the fair share number? But it sounds so atrocious to say that the government should take 90, 95, mm-hmm. 100% of your money. It sounds like communism at 100%. It sounds yeah. like socialism at 90 or 95. And nobody wants to be that. So no one would, would, was brave enough to answer my question is, what is my fair share? I keep hearing people say on TV over and over and over that I'm not paying it. Hmm. I'm like, well, I'm paying a lot of money in oh, taxes. Yeah. I feel like I'm paying my fair share. But if I'm not, tell me what it is. Wouldn't happen, couldn't happen, can't happen. None of them will say what that number is because if they were truthful, they kind of show their true colors that, no, we are we are not capitalists. We are socialists. We want to take from people that are creating jobs, that are making yeah. good money. We want to take virtually all of it give them enough to get by on, and give it to people, other people, without any concern as to, well, job creators create jobs. If you take away their their money, they can't create jobs anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a basic issue, and that's capitalism 101. But that was uh, the answer to your question about my little experiment. (laughs) Well, when you look at taxes in history, Brian, you mentioned in the U.K., 95%. I understand in the United States, it's been as high as 94% and the, you know, low tax bracket, 20%. It's a lot better than it was. And I got to tell you something. If I worked as hard as I do now and had to pay 94% in taxes, that would totally destroy my incentive to really work hard. I mean, you know, that was a story about Ronald Reagan not making uh, you know, movies after doing two a year because he'd pay too much in taxes. What do you think? Would that destroy incentive? Absolutely. We're humans. Uh, we need to be incentivized to do virtually anything. And if it's uh, making money and, and there's a certain amount that we're willing to, you know, I think to say, all right, I'll pay a certain amount. But when it gets too high, just like Ronald Reagan, it was uh, 94%. Uh, plus the state of California, that was the Fed rate. At, yeah. It was at 94 post-World War II. And he said, you know, I lose money making the next movie, so I, I, I'm i not going to do more than two movies. That's what you're referring to. And yeah. Yeah, you took away his incentive completely. That was a no-brainer. But let's say it was 80%. Do you really want to put yourself through a lot if you're going to pay 80%? Probably not. People like me would say, you know, uh, a lot of people count on me. I've created a ton of jobs. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. doing really good. I'm working hard. Do I need to? No, I could retire today, Jeff, but I'm incentivized to help people and do all this stuff. But if they take all the money, you know, most of the money I make away, I'm just going to, you know, that's it. I'm done. You know? right, right. So there would be droves of people that or job creators that would just say, no, nah, I'm out. Or if, if they make it too onerous in a particular state, people move. You see that all the time. California, New York, Illinois, people are moving. Connecticut, New Jersey to other places. So People aren't stupid. They change their behavior based upon their incentives. And, Brian, we have spoken before on this program about the possibility of the 1031 exchange possibly going away. And I understand that this is maybe included in President Biden's tax proposal. We've also talked about the step up in basis possibly on the chopping block. Both of those things, are they back on the chopping block again? Oh, yeah. Going right back to the chopping block. 1031 exchange. Basically, uh, when somebody buys uh, investment real estate and they own it for years and years and years, they get to a point in life where they want to stay in real estate, but just can't take being a landlord anymore, maybe, or, you know, they're not able to like they used to. But so they just need a, a different kind of investment in real estate. And so 1031 laws allow people to exchange from one kind of real estate into another that's more appropriate for mm-hmm. where they're at in life and so forth without paying the tax at that time period because they're not getting any cash. So they don't pay any tax in a properly executed 1031 exchange. And so, yeah, uh, Biden's proposing eliminating that, eliminating the ability for older people to change into passive real estate when they get older. He wants the tax now. He wants it as soon as they, they decide to make that change, you know, to take away the incentive for long-term investing again. Hmm. So now we'll see a lot of flipping of houses. You yeah. know, currently, you have to hold it a while before you get a preferential tax rate. But now if, if they did away with 1031 exchanges, it would have huge ripple effects. You'd see people just flipping. People would be getting kicked out of houses because they can't <laughs> stay long because no one's going to keep them long as a rental. Or, right. You know, we'd see a complete change, and it would just be buy, tear down, move on, buy, tear down, sell, move on without any regard for long term because there's no incentive to hold it long term. And as human beings, we need that incentive. And so that's another one that's on the docket. Basically, uh, I see the the Biden tax proposal as just a across the board. I want money from every single. I want all your capital gains money at the top rate. Mm -hmm. I want all any 
1031. I do away with all that. I, I want uh, wealth tax. I, I, basically, let's just tax everybody on everything so we can do our programs. And frankly, I don't think new government programs are, are very efficient at all. And so I you know, personally have a beef with that. But uh, more, more so, I am a capitalist. If you've heard my show, <laughs> I am not a socialist. I right. am not oh, a yeah. communist. I am a full-on <laughs> capitalist. And I believe that allowing that system to work is why our country is the strongest country in the world. In fact, uh, over 60% of the world's stock market value is in U.S. companies, and less than 40% is every other country combined. There's a reason why we're the leader uh, economically by far, and all of this is, I think, meant to weaken us for whatever reason, and uh, I'm just not in agreement with this. I don't generally get political on here, but I do not like these proposals because of the long-term effect a ripple effect of breaking down capitalism. Well, I think we're preaching to the choir anyway on these stations, Brian. Brian, another thing I mentioned was step up in basis on the chopping block. What are the repercussions if that goes away? Well, I'll give you an example. Let's say that your parents bought a house in Seattle many years ago for $20,000, and you you had a, a life where you weren't able to buy your own house. And then maybe dad passed away, mom got sick, so you were taking care of her and for years and years, knowing you're going to inherit her house someday. And and that's all, all awesome for you because you'll have a place to live too, and that's, and that's, that's the plan. Well, currently, uh, under the current law, uh, when mom passes away in this case, there's a step up in basis, and it happened when dad passed away too. But uh, forget about how much they paid for the house. If the house, let's say, is worth a million dollars, there would have been a, a big tax if it weren't for the step up in basis. So now uh, you can inherit that house. It's worth a million dollars. You owe no estate tax. You owe no income tax on that. Okay, that's great. Well, under the new law, if there's no step up in basis, then when somebody passes away, that million-dollar untaxed gain goes to the heirs. So when they sell that house, they say, well, I don't want to live in mom's house. I, I want to sell it and take the million dollars and move to where I, I want to live. Like, okay, we'll sell that house for a million. Oops. Well, the Biden proposal made it ordinary income and uh, such and such, and you owe $400,000 of income tax. Well, wait a second. So I inherited mom's house, and it's worth a million, but I only get 600000 I can't buy another house where I want to buy for 600000 Well, too bad, so sad. We need the money. So generational transfer will shift. If we do a step up in basis, generational transfer where we had planned to give money to our kids and charities, now the, the government would want to get in, step in there for up to 40% of that generational transfer, even for people that aren't considered a higher net worth. Brian, running a little short of time this week before we go today. Once again, I want our listeners to know that if you would like our Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement book by Brian Evans, you can simply text RADIO to 833-673-7373 to get your digital copy. If you want a hard copy, let us know that. If you've got questions or comments about the show, you can include that in your text. Again, RADIO to 833-673-7373. Brian, I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, thank our fine listeners here in the Puget Sound. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.